coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. Realizing, like, what does that mean to me? Like, why do I want that? Why is that so important to me? Like, why do I want this financial freedom so bad? And really, it came down to I want my time. And I realized mm -hmm. I don't want a job. I don't want someone telling me what to do. I want to be able to, to do, you know, whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And the real estate, the investing, the financial freedom was how, was how I was going to do that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, it's, I want to be able to go like right before this podcast, I have, you know, me and my wife went and worked out, you know, mm -hmm. we were, we get to hang out with the kids. We don't miss their, you know, their events. And you know, like, that's important to me to be able to jump on a podcast in the, in the middle of the day. Absolutely. Like those are things. So it's the real estate allows me to do all these things in my life outside of my business that are, that are important to me. But that, but that took some time of, of really realizing like, why do I, why do I want that? And so when I go into making any kind of decision, I think about how does this affect these other, these other areas of my life? Welcome to the show, I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Gabriel Hamill, who is a real estate investor whose passion for real estate business and, of course, everyone's favorite, financial freedom, uh, has helped him amass a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio that consists of single-family homes. Uh, they have multi-family apartment buildings, commercial real estate, and even some mobile home parks. So his, his experience and breadth go quite a long way. We get into how he started all of this, what was the inspiration, how he you know, grew from basically not having any money and being able to, to, to grow uh, that into more and more investment properties. Uh, and now today he's uh, somewhat motivational. He sought out uh, for his advice and skills in his local markets with other up-and-coming real estate investors. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce with Gabriel Hamill. Interesting question. I, I wasn't sure what you were going to throw at me with the, <laughs> with the first question. Um, the dinner, dinner table growing up, you know, I, I had a great, a great family. You know, that was something that, uh, you know, my parents, you know, family was definitely an important part and having dinner together was an important part of our family growing up. And that's, that's, you know, that's something that we've carried on. Me and my wife and our kids, you know, have sitting down and having dinner together most, most nights. So yeah. Yeah. You know, conversation, my, my family was very, very open for the most part, everything, everything and anything was discussed, whether it seemed appropriate at the time or not. So <laughs> that, that was kind of our, our, our dinner table. My, my dad was a very, very funny guy and everyone kind of just spoke their minds. Very cool. Very cool. And were you an entrepreneurial kid? Were you the kid, you know, starting little things here and there or? I, I... Yeah, for, for sure. You know, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up with a ton, right? Like we had everything we needed, you know, my parents definitely, definitely provided, but you know, I was that kid that kind of thought, gosh, everybody, 
everybody else is wealthier. Everybody else has more money, which later I found out was not, was not the case. A lot of these families were just in a bunch of debt and just lived like they were, mm-hmm. they were wealthy. You know, so like at 12 years old, I went and got a paper out because it was the only job I could, I could get at 12. I just, I just wanted some level of financial freedom of my own. And so that was, that was like my first job from like 12 to 16. And then, yeah, I mean, I sold candy bars out of my locker in sixth grade. I'd buy them across the street and finance that with my friend that actually got lunch money. I was like, Hey, here's an idea. <laughs> you know, sold condoms out of my locker in ninth grade and school, school shut that down pretty quick. <laughs> so yeah, I was always looking for a way like, Hey, how can I, you know, how can I, you know, make a little bit more or come up with a creative way to, to make a few dollars. So. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. So, so when did you get into real estate investing? Did you, did you go to college? Was this after college? Talk a little bit about yeah, that. I, I did not go to college. So, you know, like high school for me really was social. That was my social environment. I started wrestling in high school and that was a really big part of my, you know, my high school years and really kind of, kind of carried on, kind of carried a lot of the things I learned in, in, in wrestling, you know, kind of into my, into my real estate investing journey. But really like school was not something I was super interested in. I, I wasn't, mm-hmm. I, I definitely didn't, didn't pay attention in class. It was when's class over, what's the next, you know, social gathering so to speak so i really stayed in school for that aspect of it and i had also joined the army national guard an infantry unit my senior year of high school and it was more about i wasn't this like yes i want to be in the military yes this kind of gung-ho kind of it was, it was more like hey one week in a month two weeks a year right just like the commercial yeah go play in the woods one week in a month sounds great and they paid for college even though that's not not the path i ultimately went but, I, you know, I, a couple years after high school, so I graduated high school in 2000, a couple years after high school, I read the book, Rick Dad Poor Dad. And mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people have been impacted by that book. And so I picked up that book and thought, like, as I'm reading, I'm just going, yes, 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 this makes sense. Because I was always attracted to business. I was always attracted to, to find some level of success. And I just didn't know what that looked like. And mm-hmm. I, I was kind of ingrained, like, oh, you have to go to school. But that just didn't feel like the right path for me. I wasn't attracted to that. And so I'm reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and you know, it's really not a how-to book, it's just a mindset around things. It just, everything made sense. Just, mm-hmm. you know, I'm reading word after word, just going, yes, yes, yes. So that was really my initial kind of, I guess, indoctrination of like financial freedom and business and real estate. And then shortly after reading that, I got deployed to Iraq in 03. And, oh, wow. and I was deployed for 14 months. And so I thought a lot about the stuff that I read in that book. And I was very vocal with my friends saying, I'm going to come back and build this real estate empire. And they kind of, you know, they laughed at me and said, you're an idiot. And why do you think that, like, how can you do that? And, you know, my whole thing was like, I don't know how, but I will, like, I'm going to find a way. So, you know, that book, not being a how-to book, I didn't have any answers of how I was going to do it. I just knew that I, I would. And when I came back, you know, from the Middle East, I, I really started building building my real estate portfolio. That's, that's fantastic. And I, I, I love the background too. I, I share a very, very similar background as well. I, did, I never went to college. I took some classes that I was interested in, but never did the whole thing to get you know, the piece of paper. You know, so yep. completely understand the mindset and you know, rich dad, poor dad put me on the path that I'm on today too. So that's great. No, that's yeah. Awesome. yeah, no, 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 absolutely. So, so when you came back, how did you find your first deal and how did you finance your first deal? What, what was the path that you took to, to do that? Yeah, the first deal it was it was interesting because right I had I had I had read that book I, I had read a couple other books so you know I come back in '04 and I start looking at property and you know I didn't buy my first house till 2005 and 2005 was like subprime you know mm-hmm. anyone can get a loan but it was also a very competitive market and so I was competing with cash cash offers multiple offers 
but I was actually approved. So the, the first house I ever bought, I got, I got approved for a loan. I didn't have a job and I didn't have income and they gave me a hundred percent, a hundred percent financing wow. type loan. And it was actually an 80, 20 loan, but I didn't have to bring any money to the table. And so after I'd been looking for, for a long time and just getting, just getting, you know, beat at by other buyers, the, the realtor that I've been working with, he said, Hey, a friend of mine's son bought a home at auction. He's fixing it up. Nobody knows it's for sale yet. And, and I, and, and it wasn't a part of town. I, I initially wanted to, to live in, cause I was looking for a home for myself and, and I was going to rent out, you know, the extra, the extra rooms. Now you ever, you hear everyone talk about house hacking and yeah, yeah. I didn't know the term house hacking. I just exactly. think that made fine. That just made good financial sense, right? You, you rent two of the three rooms out, you live for less than you can live anywhere else. Yep. So ultimately I'm standing in, in this house going, Oh my gosh, nobody else knows it's for sale. And it's a decent house. And the seller's going to, you know, sell it to me at a, at a price less than, than what I know, which was later I found out the house across the street sold for significantly more. And so I'm standing this thing going, all my competition's gone. Like nobody knows mm -hmm. it's for sale except for me. So I bought that, I bought that first house, no money down, rented out two of the rooms. Oh six, very similarly, you know, I started telling people like, Hey, I'm looking for houses. I'm going to try, I'm going to invest in real estate. I mean, I owned one home, decided in my mind that I was an investor, went and made business cards, told everybody that I'm, I'm an investor. And I found my next deal because I told it was an off market deal. I told the guy at the gym, what I was doing. And he said, Oh, my friend's dad's selling a house in that, in that area. And, and that thing appraised out 40,000 above what I, what I got in contract for. Yeah. Only because I opened my mouth and said, Hey, I'm an investor. I'm looking for, for property. And so first two deals, you know, no money down. Third deal was a 5% down deal. So 05, 06, 07, you know, it was pretty easy to get a loan. And I'm learning as I go, I'm, I'm reading, reading books and I'm thinking this is easier than the books. Like I just show up once a year at the bank and they're going to give me a loan. Yeah. And, and that really came to a halt in, in 2008. So, you know, also in 2006, I opened up a small nutrition store inside of a gym. By, by 2008, the store wasn't making any money. And my first son was born in 2008. And I ended up shutting that store down. And I'm going, well, gosh, what do I do? Like, you know, and so I went back to the bank and I'm going to buy another house. And that's when the bank said, no, no, things have changed completely. You yeah. actually have to have money. You have to have an income. You have to have a down payment. And I was so spoiled with you know, these, these no and low money down deals, the banks were giving me, ultimately I had to find another way. Like I didn't have 30% to put down on uh, investment property. And so I, I just had the, the decision, like, what do, you know, what do I do? So I ended up working a bunch of odd men jobs, eventually, you know, landed a entry level minimum wage uh, job. And a few months into that, I just, I had to decide like if I was going to get serious in real estate or just work this job that I didn't enjoy for who knows how long. And so that's when I got, I was really set and determined to replace that income. And because it was low paying, paying job, that seemed very obtainable. Mm -hmm. And that year I did my first seller financing deal. It replaced my income at that job almost to the dollar. And essentially I never, I, I never worked a job. I never worked a job again. And I also have never traditionally financed a property since that first seller financing deal either. And that was oh, 2009. Wow. Yep. wow. So, so you always use seller financing at this point? Is that seller? Yeah. So seller financing. So what I found is, you know, because the bank told me, Hey, we, you have to, like, you, I go into the bank and they tell me what the terms are. They said, here's the down payment. Here's the interest rate. Here's how you need to qualify. Yeah. They said, go get it. They told me, go get a job, you know, get a down payment. And I'm looking at the jobs I qualify for. I'm not going to, I mean, even yeah. if I live very frugally, like I just save up 30% and then what do that once every, you know, five years, 10 years, like that's yeah. not attractive. That's, and so 
I, I had briefly read about seller financing. And so I, I just got on Craigslist every single night and was typing in words like owner financing, seller financing, owner terms, and, you know, would have conversations. I would make calls. I was driving, looking for properties, but ultimately I found these two duplexes side by side where the seller was willing to carry financing. And I walked away from that deal, you know, excited feeling like, wow, I just put, put together a really good deal, but the seller was also thanking me. And I, I did this a couple more times with no money down. And I realized that these sellers, there's a huge advantage to them. Like I'm thinking as a buyer, wow, what an advantage. I, I get to make up these terms, whatever terms the seller and I agree on, we can put on paper and, and it works. But the sellers were also really happy because this, these particular sellers, they didn't want to be cashed out. They mm -hmm. didn't want to pay a huge capital gain. They wanted to, they wanted income. They wanted that new level of passivity being hands off. So they're thanking me for buying their house while I'm thanking them for, you know, also buying it from them. And, yeah. and so yeah, 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, it was all no money down and a couple low money down seller finance deals. And that's really how I started. And it was all small multifamily. And that's really how I started building up my portfolio. You know, since then I've done some, some private money, some hard money, but really sell my most recent deal seller finance. And that's always my, my first go-to. Every time. It's, so it's still working today. You're still using that today and, and absolutely still, still working out. So what are some of the challenges when you, actually, I guess, are you still using Craigslist or what are some of the ways that you're using to be able to find these, these owner financed opportunities? I guess start yeah. there. Yeah. I'd say the best seller financing deals, you know, yeah, early on it, it was Craigslist. And you, I, I still think you can find deals on there, right? Because mm -hmm. you get the sellers that don't want to put a sign in the yard. They don't want to hire an agent. And sometimes people laugh about Craigslist, but I have people reach out all the time and said, Hey, I went on there and I found a deal. I found mm -hmm. a, you know, I found a property. So yeah, I still think that's an opportunity, but a lot of it's just networking. And I, and I don't, I don't mean like advertising or, or, you know, sending out a million mailers, but just genuine networking of telling people what you're looking for, because ultimately the best, the best deals when I look back are when I'm face to face with a seller because it's so less transactional. I'm not, it's not me having an agent put it on paper who presents it to their agent who probably knows very little to nothing about seller financing, who then presents yeah. it to a seller who I have no idea if they even want to carry or in a position to carry. And so really it's, it's, it's finding those sellers and a lot of it's just, just through conversation. And those, you know, again, going back from those first couple of deals to the most recent, it's just letting people know what, what you're looking for and then having enough conversations around are they in a position to carry financing? Because every seller who's carried financing for me, they already knew what seller financing was. Mm -hmm. They already understood the advantages and they wanted to carry financing. So, you know, I used to get asked a lot, like, how do you convince or talk a seller into carrying financing? And I realized like, I wasn't sharing that enough on podcasts or, or when I speak is these are all sellers, not saying that you couldn't talk a seller into or explain to a seller what it was. I just, when I reflected back, I had never had to do that. And I thought that that's way more of an uphill battle than, if I can just find sellers that already know and want yeah. to do it, then it's just a conversation of, Hey, what terms are you interested in? What terms, yeah. what terms will work? And, and so when you're going through and, and negotiating these terms, where do you start at? I mean, is it basically asking them what do they want? And, you know, I guess maybe how do I know that this is a, a good owner financing term package yeah. or am I getting screwed with this owner financing package. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question. And I, and I do, I do start it off that, that casual, Hey, what kind of terms would work for you? Or what kind of terms are you interested in? Because what I found is most times sellers are stuck on 
on one aspect of it. It's, it's the purchase price, right? Or it's mm -hmm. the down payment that they either need or want for a specific reason. You know, maybe, maybe they're trying to pay something off or they're trying to go somewhere or buy something or it's the interest rate. Whatever mm -hmm. reason, sellers will get a specific interest rate in their head. But it's rare that I find a seller where it's all three things. And so, you know, early on, I had to find sellers that didn't care about a down payment because I didn't have a down payment. You know, now it is. I ask, hey, what kind of terms are you interested in? And, and a lot of the times they, they throw out something that's really reasonable. I mean, every once in a while I get someone that wants a crazy high price, a high interest rate and a large down payment. And you start running the, the you know, basic analyzing of the deal. And you're like, this doesn't make it's sense, working. you know? Yeah. And, and I've said that to sellers in a very nice way. Like, hey, I'm looking like this doesn't even pencil. It does for them. It's great for them. Right. But in most cases, you know, the sellers are reasonable because for them, it's a new level of passivity where a lot of times these sellers, in most cases, these sellers, they're men and women in their 60s and 70s who self-managed, great people, they're just burnt out, they're tired. Mm -hmm. They've been landlord and you know, property manager and maintenance you know, repair person, and they, they usually have another job or another business they're running. And so they know that even though they're, they've built some level of wealth and some cash flow on this property, they're just ready to have that hands-off kind of real mailbox money and, and, and be the bank. And so it, for them, for a lot of these sellers, they're okay, you know, taking a little bit of a hit on price or down payment or whatever it might be to, to take away that headache. Cause mm -hmm. a lot of times these properties are poorly managed, under rented, some deferred maintenance. And they're looking at it as, gosh, I really don't want to spend the time and energy or money to fix it up. I really don't have to want to deal with you know, having to screen more tenants or, or, or a bad tenant. So as a buyer, there's all that opportunity of the upside. And most of these sellers are, are okay with that. I, I mean, I've never walked away from a deal feeling like I've won and they've lost. It's always yeah. been this, this, this win-win. You're, you're solving a problem, whether that be, you know, a, a bad tenant or they don't want to deal with the maintenance or they're just, they're just ready to, to move on. Got it. Got it. And what types of mistakes have you made before in the past when you've been looking at, at owner-financed owner financing as an option to be able to acquire a property. Are there any things to watch out for? Would you say early on I went in with, I mean, I, I was, I had a very high risk tolerance. I, I had nothing to lose. I felt like I had nothing to lose, you know? And I do think, you know, going in with no money, you know, cause sometimes I get asked like, well, how many, how much reserves did you have? I didn't have any reserves starting off. Like I had none, but I was also going in with no money. So like not doing those deals to me, was way riskier than, doing the deals and worried about all the what ifs that could happen mm -hmm. because there were things that, you know, happened throughout the years. I was just forced to figure it out. I own the property. Right. And so it's, you know, I would get bad tenants occasionally, you know, I used to self-manage when I first started, you know, and you'd get those kind of, Oh shit moments, but that's just part of the game. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, a mistake a lot of people make is just not, not jumping in. I went in with, I have nothing, to lose the worst case scenario, like what happens? Like what, I mean, the property goes vacant or uh, catches on fire, you know, I'm gonna have an insurance policy. I mean, I, I don't know, the worst case scenario didn't outweigh the risk of not, of not doing the deal. You know, early on, maybe, maybe screening tenants better. You know, I, I, I've gone through several property management companies and you know, now I have some property managers that, that's, that's phenomenal. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? 
Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. Um, yeah, there were some different things throughout throughout that learning process and growing process, you know, where I, I could have probably saved or not lost money just just having, you know, better conversations with with property management and and such. But you know, I also really I, I want to really keep my my focus on on the big picture, not bogged down on all the little things. And that's also part of why I've chose not to not to self-manage. It's yeah. It comes, you know, it creates a job. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and so you, you touched on the big picture. What is the big picture for you? I, yeah, I, you know, for me, it's, it's about my time. I, you know, for me, it's time freedom. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, and that was a process, you know, I, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad at like, you know, 19 years old. And I was like, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be, you know, and, and, and there was a lot of reflection and, and just realizing like, what does that mean to me? Like, why do I want that? Why is that so important to me? Like, why do I want this financial freedom so bad? And really it came down to, I want my time. And I realized mm -hmm. I don't want a job. I don't want someone telling me what to do. I want to be able to, to do, you know, whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And the real estate, the investing, the financial freedom was how, was how I was going to do that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, it's, I want to be able to go like right before this podcast, I have, you know, me and my wife went and worked out, you know, mm -hmm. we were, we get to hang out with the kids. We don't miss their, you know, their events. And like, that's important to me to be able to jump on a podcast in the, in the middle of the day. Absolutely. Like those are things. So it's the real estate allows me to do all these things in my life outside of my business that are, that are important to me. But that, but that took some time of, of really realizing like, why do I, why do I want that? And so when I go into making any kind of decision, I think about how does this affect these other, these other areas of my life. And so mm -hmm. that was a real big decision and why I chose not to, to keep self-managing or to start a property management company. I've never had employees. I don't want employees. You know, it, it's, I think a natural step to, you know, to build a property management company or to start syndicating. I, that's just, I chose not to do that because it didn't align with my other, my other goals and intentions in life. Got it. Got it. That, uh, so that's interesting. But actually, can you talk a little bit about how you found a good property manager? Because obviously that's, that's one of the, the keys to success is having you know, a good one. Yeah. Um, I, unfortunately, I've been on the, uh, the back end of that or the other end of that as well. And it sounds like you have. What, what did you do to finally find your, your, the one that you're using today? What, what were you looking Trial for? Trial and error. Yeah. Trial and error. I, I mean, I wish I had a a great answer because it's you know there's there's so many management companies out there i would say most of them aren't aren't great but a good you know even the ones that have good reviews you know and i think mm -hmm. it's i do think that property management is a, is, a, is a tough business right it's it's one of the most thankless jobs i mean they're dealing with owners are dealing with tenants mm -hmm. they're dealing with their own employees they're you know the the, the maintenance folks whoever i mean it's just a lot of people involved that that they're trying to keep happy and so i think it's challenging so i you know, there was another investor in town that was, that had a property management company and he said, Hey, let me manage, let me manage one and start there. And so that was a learning process. You know, I, mm -hmm. I wasn't a great property manager, so I didn't enjoy it. And that was the other big reason. Like I love 
you know, you're asking about big picture. I love putting deals together. Yeah. I love analyzing deals. I love meeting, you know, potential sellers and talking to them. It feels very light to me. It feels very easy. It doesn't, it's not, it's not work. Property management. I, I mean, one hour and I'm, it, it feels like work. I don't enjoy it. And so, you know, I think, I think it's hard to really know if property management's a good fit until, until you experience it. Cause there was a lot of good, a lot of not good. And I just had to go through a few, a few companies to really realize, and, and some companies were good in one area and, and not in the other. And so I wish I had a better answer than trial and error, yeah, but yeah, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And, and yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I wish there was a way to be able to weed people out, you know, weed out the bad ones a little bit easier, but, uh, but yeah, that is always difficult when you look at these properties and you, you evaluate the properties, are you using any type of a calculator that is this a, a calculator that you've designed yourself or so I, I guess just a little bit of insight there. And then with the way that you're sourcing these deals, how many deals do you need to look at and, and follow up with to get to one that you actually end up purchasing? Do you ever, do you ever look at it that way? Yeah. Yeah. So as, as far as analyzing the deals themselves, Early on, I, knew, I mean, I knew nothing about cap rate. I didn't know, you know, people were throwing around all these fancy analyzing terms. Early on, it was, and even to this day, it's about cash flow first, mm-hmm. cash flow first. So the way I looked at it with those, with those first deals, you know, when banks were giving me hundred percent, easy money, right? There's nothing mm-hmm. to lose. It's cash flow positive, infinite return. Seller financing, same thing, no money down. If I was cash flow positive, I mean, that very first seller financing deal, when I'm looking at the numbers of those four units, the two duplexes, I'm looking at this going, this cash flow is what am I missing? Yeah. Like, and I think people see, people tend to overcomplicate it, right? Like here's the income coming in. Here's the expenses. Now the expenses can change, but I saw the last two years of what the expenses have been. So I have a very good idea. I mean, I understand something could go wrong. It could cost more or maybe something costs less because I, you know, create some better systems or whatnot. But ultimately if I was going in with no money, any cash flow, that's how I looked at it. Any cash flow was positive. And again, going back to all the what ifs that could happen, it still, you know, didn't out, outweigh the risk of not doing the deal. So initially it was cash flow positive, no money down. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, now, yeah, I'm going to look at, you know, on, on larger deals. And, and as I, and as I've gone forward, it's, you know, if I'm bringing money to the table, I want to, I want a large cash on cash return. Like what is my return on my money? You know, and obviously going into multifamily, it's, there's, you know, there's going to be more, more costs associated but also more income. But I, I, I still think people tend to overcomplicate it. You know, you, you look at money coming in, expenses going out, you, you know, and even with cash on cash return, cap rate, all, all these things, ultimately it comes down to, are you happy with the deal at the end of the day mm-hmm. with the amount of money you've put into it or, or with whatever the terms are, does that work for you? Because people have different, you know, different needs and, and pro- certain properties also can provide a, a, a certain need depending on the person. So it's, you know, Sometimes I get asked like, well, what's a good cash on cash return? I don't think it really matters. It's more about like, what are, what are your financial goals? What's your investment philosophy? And, and does this deal align, align with that? That being said, I really focus on cash flow first. I don't, even if it's a, a poorly managed under rented property where there is a lot of upside, because I will buy properties that have a, a huge appreciation play, but I, I want them to cash flow first. Cause that's, mm-hmm. I can go back and look what the property has been doing. And that's what really really kept me safe, you know, in the last downturn was cash flow first. Yeah. Now a lot of wealth has been built through the appreciation. I just never banked on that. I've never, I've never relied on the appreciation for the deal to work. 
No, that's great advice. That's great advice. And, and how large of a radius are you investing in? Or do you, do you stick pretty close to home or do you go outside of that? Yeah. So most of the stuff I have, I've got 175, I'm working on a couple of deals right now, but uh, 175 units right now, most of them are, I mean, in my backyard, 15, mm-hmm. 15 minutes away or so. But I have a mobile home, two mobile home parks. One's like 30 minutes south and another one's an hour south. And I have another apartment an hour south of where, of where I am. So I, I was just going to say, maybe you're going to ask this. I never intended to invest here. Like my market isn't necessarily, I would go, oh, Eugene, Oregon is, you know, a, a great place to invest because X, X, and X, right? And, and, and there's different indicators of markets, but I know this market. And I know this market really well. I know the sub market. And so I feel like I can make really quick decisions and I can analyze the deal quick because I know not only the market, but the sub markets mm-hmm. or anywhere else in the country. I don't know. So on paper, a certain area may look really good, but I don't, I'm not the one that knows like, okay, across the street, no one wants to live there or rents are way less once you get yeah. past this, this per, person, uh, particular area. So knowing this area and then being able to network within this area, I'm able to find off market deals and able to make quick decisions. And I think it's important. You either have to have market knowledge or have a team of people that you trust in that market that has market knowledge. Yeah, so it kind of just organically, organically started growing in this area. Yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice. So, so what would you say is next for you? What, what are some of the next goals that you're looking to achieve? Obviously, you're looking for the next, or you're looking at a couple of deals, but what, what's up beyond that even? Yeah, specific to real estate. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking to grow my portfolio, and I've put a lot of thought like, how do I, like, how do I want to do that? Because I, you know, I don't. I, I've chosen not to syndicate. I don't want to syndicate for a variety of a variety of reasons, and so. Going forward, I, I will still do deals on my own, but I'm, I'm looking for some strategic partnerships. So, you know, what does, does someone, you know, does the partner bring something to the table that, that I don't have? You know, maybe it's a, a large rehab project and they have a, you know, construction management background of, of some sort, or they bring in a skill set that I don't, I don't have. Because again, I enjoy putting the deals together. I enjoy finding the deals, talking with the sellers, negotiating the deal. So that's really, you know, moving forward. I'm looking at, I'm actually looking at less, less deals in the sense of I'm, I'm, I'm really not looking at the small stuff. I'm not looking at single family. I'm not looking at small multifamily anymore. I'm really looking at 30 units and above. So I may do less deals, mm-hmm. but just at a larger scale. And, and at this point that just makes more, more sense for me. No, makes perfect sense. Gabriel, this has been fantastic. I, uh, I think there's been a lot of nuggets that people are going to be able to take away from this. So certainly appreciate the time and, and uh, the insights into how you've built your portfolio. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on and I hope your listeners have, you know, can gain something from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Many, many thanks. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.